talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome to another fine episode of More Like the Worst Wing, our show where we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a bit of a 2020 leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And we are here to discuss the second part of the inauguration two-parter, aptly entitled Inauguration Part Two, which uh, opens up with Will and Toby uh, arguing about the state policy, uh, aka foreign policy language, in the inauguration speech that was sort of the entire plot of part one, and basically sort of overall the episode has this more larger argument about the case for military intervention in general. Uh, when when bad shit is happening in elsewhere in the world, why should the U.S. be sending troops over there? And then a bunch of characters try to make the case for why to do that. Yeah, and. I mean, not to, like, super leapfrog everything that happens. Like, the episode closes on them saying, um, Bartlett literally says, congratulations, we have a doctrine. Right, we have a new doctrine where we are going to intervene to solve humanitarian crises across the globe. But That is the new Bartlett doctrine. And, and it is, and this will actually be a recurring theme throughout this episode as we discuss it, it is told to us that we have that, but we right. do not get to witness... How so or why? <laughs> the indoctrination yeah. of that doctrine. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, we don't get to see the actual thing. So here's a funny thing. We we often complain that nothing happens on the show. Well, in this episode, things happen. We just don't get to see them happen. Yes. And, and we have a lot of characters talk about them happening. And it's also... Well, I also think it carries through, too, because we, we see characters talk about things that have happened before, too, mm-hmm. and we didn't even get to... Like, it's... Other off-screen things, it's correct. It's just yeah. like this transcendent level of... Um, t- and to be fair, it could either be if I'm giving a full good faith reading of the kind of the, the craft of writing these episodes. Like, okay, I'm, I'm happy that because we've complained in the past that you don't give your audience credit for yes. like being able to think in a nuanced way or being able to kind of interpolate things right this kind of take it on a smarter level right yeah sure sure and this does that but it also kind of just desperately swings it to the other extreme where it's just like but you're now literally telling rather than showing right you should do a little show just a little bit yeah we don't even get the eponymous inauguration speech at all (laughs) on uh on camera not even a snippet which is uh, which is interesting. They've shown snippets of Bartlett's speeches before. I actually prefer that approach where we get to see like maybe a paragraph or two of it. I don't yeah. want to see the whole thing, um, which is why I hate the episode where they do the whole debate in real time. <sighs> and I think that was a terrible, terrible decision. <laughs> it's you know the reason we you know we have montage and visual shorthand and stuff like that is it's fine to just show an in media res snippet of a Bartlett speech and for us to trust like oh okay. This is a part of like a 20 minute long speech that we're not going to see because the episode has other things to do. I would have preferred that, but instead they just show nothing and sort of have the characters react with, oh, what a great speech that was, Mr. Bartlett, and have pretty women come up to compliment Toby and Will, a.k.a. the Aaron Sorkin stand-ins. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, like just bent over with a pen in his hand being like, it's definitely not me. 
this is not me like at all in any way shape or form and just probably just beaten off yeah there's there's one shot where will is talking about how toby got a previous speech changed and that also changed you know policy Hmm. at Mm -hmm. the highest level and when Will is talking about this moment, he's getting like the ultimate hero shot push in sort of thing with God light coming from behind him out of the window. It's it's talking it up like it's the most incredible thing in the world. And it's changing a speech slightly. <laughs> and like the characters even sort of like downplay it as they talk about it. <laughs> it's, right. It's like, like it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these just these notes I wrote down. It's just like, we're just writers, but also we're the most important. <laughs> right. But also like, if you wanted to blow me, you know, you I wouldn't die. say no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may have heard of me. I'm a very famous writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big, big energy to that. And so, you know, I don't want to break this whole plot down throughout the episode, but by the end of it, the president is sending the 101st airborne and Marines and whatnot into Kundu on a quote-unquote peacekeeping mission. And this speech where he's announcing the uh, the troop movements is also given sort of the heroic, patriotic music uh, behind it and the swelling, uplifting emotion of, of, oh, the problem is being solved. But, like, really, isn't just a, ni- a giant new problem being created? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, okay, like, uh, understanding that you speak in platitudes and to the highest ideals in these extremely high level speech. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, you're theoretically, you're the leader of the quote unquote free world here. Mm-hmm. You are, you are delivering conceptual speeches only. You're not sitting here getting into the weeds during a press. Right. Conference. You're not going to be talking about specific policy details. It, you're just in your inauguration speech. These are sweeping generalizations. Certainly. But then it's like also just, it is left to the audience to again, just presume that, that's exactly how it goes, which is the opposite of the truth in almost every single real life example we have of this. Of you know, course. we are we are not being greeted as liberators anywhere. No, no, but of course, in the fictional version of the West Wing, this is the most humanitarian military action that's ever been taken. <laughs> it's being done for the noblest of reasons to stop the greatest of atrocities. It's how it's very convenient when you can write it up that way. To make yeah. it seem, make imperialism seem woke. Yeah, and I think we touched on it the last time we recorded. It's like, I will give sort of some leeway for this being an atrocity that would have been worth working multilaterally to prevent at any cost. Yes. And frankly, one of the few things in my mind, again, as sort of a a person who grew up and is just utterly poisoned by American exceptionalism would have most likely warranted unilateral action. However, it's just, it's completely counterfactual to how these right. things have always worked. It's yeah. To, and then we have the real life examples of Iraq and Afghanistan and <laughs> Libya. And I could go on and Nicaragua on and, and everywhere, and li- and- everywhere in Latin America, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So here's the thing is it's all well and good when you script it up this way. But every real-world example we have of the U.S. military has been shit. Well, and I think it comes that ties it nicely back up with just being like, yeah, you know what, Aaron, you are just a writer. You can write this to work out however the fuck you want. Right. But people who take Sorkin's perception of politics and perception specifically of foreign policy as 
you know, it's been, I mean, it's been 20 years right. and they take it as gospel still. Still, still. Like, it's, it's still deeply have a dangerous. Huge, huge cult of liberals who worship this show. Yeah. And, yeah, and they become the Obama boys, and or now <laughs> Biden boys, I guess. And they will become the next NatSec ghouls of, of the blob. And this is how this is how these systems perpetuate, you know? Well, it's not the direct cause, but it's a nice little propaganda sprinkle to make it all go down a little smoother. Oh, absolutely. It is, um, you know, it's the it's state and culture working together. It gets people to buy in. Yeah. It gets your average idiot who's like, oh, I like Martin Sheen and I like Allison Janney and all these charismatic people. I guess I like neoliberalism now. (laughs) Except it's not even on that level, but yeah, you get my point. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I understand that this is how things work in the world because it's been presented to me. Right. This this, is how the smart people, the smart people on the TV talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that basically wraps up my my thoughts on the main overarching plot of this episode. Yeah. Anything else before we take a quick break? Nope, I think that's good. Let's take a quick break and we can uh, follow up on some of the like other episode arc things, Character like the Sharif subplots. assassination. Yes. We also see uh, Danny Kincannon back in this episode. Right, uh, he's around. He's in the white. He's in the West Wing. He's uh, at the inauguration balls, and he's basically it's it's kind of great because he's just he's a bloodhound. Like he is just keeping at it with this angle that he's been going after, trying to find yes. this pilot about yep. the Sharif assassination, and he's starting to make it more explicit. Yeah, when he well, talks he's starting to, the to tie more pieces together. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like, has abandoned the thing where he's trying to help CJ find some sort of out about it. Right. He's actually approaching people like Josh. Right. Sort of like... To be fair, in- CJ sent him to Josh. Hmm. But yes. But yeah, I mean, it's just... And frankly, that's just opening the door for right. a guy like him. So Right. Which is why later in the episode, CJ goes to Leah and is like, look, the more you tell me, the more I can help you. You're like, don't just leave me out in the cold here. I'm the fucking press secretary. Well, so, and we, the, the main point of information this time around, the thing that's changed in the story is that, um, the follow-up is that the president Bartlett has actually rescinded, or we hear that he has rescinded executive orders against Mm -hmm. the assassination of foreign dignitaries. We rescinded two specific orders and, uh, which wasn't done publicly, of course, uh, and then uh, CJ's like, what are those executive orders? They're the ones that prevent you from assassinating a foreign head of state. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so, so, of course, they go eventually, like, they go down this rabbit hole and they're talking about how, well, technically, you see, they're not executive orders. They're like, 
NSA executive privilege directives. Or uh-huh. it's right, like so it's not as damning in, an indictment <laughs> as it sounds, except it totally is. <laughs> and there's a uh, kind of a, like a, a smoke-filled room scene with Bartlett and Leo out on the balcony of the Oval Office mm-hmm. where they're kind of discussing this in hushed tones. And frankly, the low-key most interesting aspect of this episode is that it ties back to the guy who had like a couple shouty man (laughs) yeah last time around the secretary of defense hutchison yeah who got into a big screaming match with leo about getting the end around on the force depletion report for kundu uh, exactly an episode or two ago yeah and they're talking about that like if he's trying to do a coup (laughs) essentially if if this is basically him getting retribution for getting fucked around on the Gundu thing by leaking the fact that these directives have been rescinded. Right. And it's like, okay, this is cool. This is hard as hell This to is follow. some house of card shit. Exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, this is some political intrigue right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Bartlett just kind of waves it off as like, nah, you know, you don't think he could be doing that, do you? And Leo's like, are you fucking naive? Of course <laughs> yeah. he could be. Yeah. Like, and so... It, it kind of weaves around that for a little while, but then we almost just like spontaneously discover that the thing that Danny is actually chasing during his conversation with Josh at the inauguration ball is not actually to do with Sharif. Correct. So when he goes to Donna to ask about, to follow up on the Sharif thing, or he sends like his research editor to talk to her about something, uh, apparently... And this is the story we hear at first. Donna being upset about the fact that just off-screen Jack Reese was reassigned and essentially, like, demoted and fired, you know, last episode. uh, Leaked a slightly damning quote about, oh, everyone's real big friends around here, unless you wear a uniform. Uh, (laughs) Which is apparently, like, the kind of quote that is, like, red alert fucking five for these folks. Because, like, they all get paged and have to come back to the office right away. CJ's like... Josh, someone in your office fucking fucked us. And and they show Will getting, like, 17 different phone calls and, like, knocked on by the hotel manager where he's staying and stuff. So they'll be like, you have to come to the White House at 3 a.m. There's an emergency. And yet, it's really not that big a deal. Yeah. I, it's The episode treats it with such varying wild stakes. So when we first hear about the crisis with Danny exposing this quote that is, like, so, so bad for them... It's all hands on deck, red alert five kind of shit. But then by the end of the episode, they're just kind of joking around about it. And it turns out it wasn't even Donna's fault. Yeah, and it's, like, it's also it conveniently just off screen Jack Reese, that rascally devil. Yeah, He's getting up to all sorts of shenanigans just off screen, just out of frame. You got to take our word on it. Just believe me when I tell you. Um, so, we couldn't get Christian Slater. God damn it. And so they kind of like. There's this weird triple deke where we ascribe Donna this brilliant political maneuvering where it's like you where try she's to trying to get like the truth, you know, she's like a, a whistleblower almost. Yeah, and it's like you right. try to stop people from knowing that it's Jack, but then you do this because you realize that it's easier for them to figure out that it's actually Jack. What what, right, where she like was actually did, trying to cover for him. Yeah, You just did like two 180s, and all of a sudden you're back to where you started. 
Right, and so now, conveniently, all the heat's off Donna, it's all on Jack, who, at this point, I guess, is getting put in fucking Fort Leavenworth, but we'll, <laughs> we'll never know, because it happens off screen. Um, so yeah, he's up, he's in deep shit, and it, it just sort of ends on a comedy subplot of them going to Donna's house and waking up all her neighbors and being loud and boisterous with snowballs and shit. Yeah, and it's, again, sort of just this deployment, and we're gonna kind of make a transition here, um... It's like this, the phenomenon of them utilizing characters at the, at convenience, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and just deciding to bail on, frankly, some, like, whatever well-established character traits certain ones have right. to push the plot. Right. And, uh, or, or even just to make a joke. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, so, for example, what happens with Charlie in this episode, where he's been having a running subplot with trying to impress Zoe and trying to show up this Jean-Paul French de la douche asshole. Uh, and by in this episode, he gets just turned up to 11 and he's gone full crazy. And he's like, when they're at the th- thing with Donna and out in the snow, he's just like, I'm here to prove my love for Zoe. I have given up my coat so that Zoe will know my undying <laughs> love. And it's yeah. like, it's funny. But also, like, it came out of nowhere. Well, it's, and it's it's funny because Dulé Hill is a funny guy. Yeah, like, he delivers it, it well. Yes, it, it's yeah, and I mean, it it like it it ramps through a lot of the characters in in this episode. Like, we have Toby sitting oh, right. in the in the bar um, with CJ at some point mm-hmm. where they are discussing. They're having whether... like baby's first conversation about the morals of ent- of intervention. Yeah. Like yeah, it's well, re- it's really you, you're talking about how this episode is trying to be smart and in some re- aspects it is but on this level they're just like they take the dumbest level idea of military intervention and spell it out for you of like well if someone across the street's beating up a pregnant lady wouldn't you go stop them and it's again we have Toby making the isolationist argument and going into the like uh, think i mean you literally literally says and don't give me a lefty answer as to I, why we shouldn't why we should not be isolationist and we remember or, or some of us who don't only remember sailor like <laughs> remember in season one where toby was like was the lefty of the was group. the lefty of the like the, the labor the, guy the guy who the was always ACLU pushing you guy basically. for social security and better yeah. wages and and these sorts of things now is saying don't give me the lefty answer just well, no no consistency of character at all and it's sort of it starts to and especially because they've made a big deal at this point of focusing in on Toby and Will's interaction, Correct. focusing in on it, how all this stuff is, it turns them into, it just starts to turn them into more faceless, like, I, I, they I become don't know how props. to describe it. Yeah, they become yeah. like set decoration or props where you just, you put them where you need to put them. And you, and you have them say whatever you need to have them say. And you don't think about, would this character say this thing? Or how would Toby argue for this point? You just... You, they they become interchangeable. Yeah, and and in a and way, it loses it, a, a, it loses a little something of the show. Sure, and in a way, it it limits your ability to then develop future like interesting. Char- right, I, I'll call it conflicts because right, no one has nobody, a consistent character. If nobody has any convictions, how do you play them off of each other? Right, like, how you how do you have an, a fight of ideals if none of them truly have any and just kind of go with the flow of whatever's going on? 
Yeah, and it, I mean, in this episode, it seemed pretty, especially because of the climax, like the way that they treat Donna screwing up. It's just, it flip-flops so hard from, holy shit, this is like, we need, we're big, melting big, down big, about big, this. Big, 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 big PR problem, yeah. And then they're like, oh, let's throw snowballs at her window and... Oh, uh, LOL, let's just go to the eight balls. That's, this was fun. Didn't we have fun, everyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, while we're still on this topic, there's two other things I want to mention. The first is that during that bar conversation you just mentioned, where they're having baby's first uh, discussion about the, the morals of intervention... Uh, Toby and Josh had this little back and forth where they say, hey man, if you and I were world policing back in the 30s, we'd have a lot more relatives, meaning, you know, Jewish people mm-hmm. still alive. And uh, I'm like, first off, bull fucking shit. You would have pulled some <laughs> Neville Chamberlain fucking appeasement bullshit and been like, look, look, you keep whatever camps go in Germany. We're just trying to work out a trade deal for some fighter jets here. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean... <laughs> This idea that, like, they would have been, like, the Nazi hunters of, from, like, fucking Inglorious Bastards or whatever. Well, and it's it's sort of, again, looking back in hindsight, it's like, it, within a fictional universe where you can already write whatever you want to happen, then you get to also just be like, well, I have perfect hindsight and I also decide whatever I want to happen in the past. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, this doubling up of, oh, of course, just... Uh, Describe whatever you feel like. And viewers of this show think it is the smart thing to do to be like, oh, yeah, yep, these these people, like, they're the real, like, the heads. They know what's up. Yeah, just these, are our, this shitty, these are our elites, and they're telling us the, the like divine the, wisdom. Yeah, they're, they're passing that divine wisdom down. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's a whole thing. <laughs> I just yeah, wanted to bring that up. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up is that going back to characters acting out of character. So Josh's whole thing romantically has been that he's a mess with the ladies in that, you know, he's just, he, he can't flirt. He admits that, you know, he's bad at flirting. He never got that part in college or whatever. And so his whole thing has been sort of being charmingly, um, unthreatening towards women. And like Mm -hmm. sort of, that's kind of how he won Amy over. He's different from the other men in her life who are more traditional, toxic masculinity, kind of like macho flirty or like, you know, come on too strong, machismo kind of bullshit. Whereas Josh was different. He's, you know, smarter. I don't want to say more sensitive necessarily, but he wasn't neurotic. Neurotic. Yeah, neurotic. Which can be mistaken for sensitivity. (laughs) Or at least less harmless. More harmless, I should say. Less harmful. Mm-hmm. But in this particular episode, and more recently, this goes back to those one, that one two or three ago where I was like, where he made the creepy comment about, yeah, Zoe's sure growing up nice, ain't she? <laughs> <laughs> and so he has, uh, I, and I only caught this on second rewatch, and you made a note of it here. I'm glad you did, because I do want to bring it up. So after they have the fun little diversion with Donna, and they're like, all right, come on, Donna, we got a car here. We're, we're all going to go back to the eight inauguration balls and have some fun. Uh, but the car's pretty full, so you're going to have to sit on someone's lap. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, Ugh. like, why is he turned into, like, fucking creepy, like, Hugh Hefner shit all, all of a sudden? Like, where he's, now he's a pervo. Like, his whole thing, if we're going with character consistency as, like, the theme of this segment, his whole thing has been, like, charmingly, neurotically unthreatening. Now he's, like, creepo pervo. Yeah, it's not great. Mm-mm. Uh, and uh, just really like chalk another tally on the Soren sexism uh, chalkboard. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, yeah. But don't don't worry, they love each other, so you know, it all works out or whatever in season 7. Um, but yeah, that does it for this particular segment. Uh, let's take another quick break and then we'll come back and discuss some final thoughts. Could it be the north wind they've been feeling? And the wires made a tattletale sound when the wave broke over the railing. And every man knew as the captain did too, twas the witch of November come stealing. The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain. In the face of a hurricane west wind And welcome back. Um, so the final things we want to talk about is at the end of the episode, after the big successful inauguration speech that we see zero parts of, uh, Will Bailey is finally officially promoted to Sam's old job. And... The, uh, the final three minutes are Bartlett and the rest of the senior players all gathering around while he officially does the promotion ceremony or the deputy creating ceremony or whatever. And the show just really fetishizes this act and this moment and like the, the pomp and the circumstance of the ceremony of it all. Yeah, it's the most, um, it's the most dramatic part of the episode it's very like there's moving camera mm -hmm. like there there's a lot of background there's swelling strings in the background mm -hmm. you know this mm -hmm. stuff correct yeah it's like all, we put all our narrative oomph into emphasizing this particular moment and it's something you know we haven't seen this moment with any of our mains because they were already hired when the show mm -hmm. had started so this is the first time we're sort of seeing this on on this high a level and holy god just the show the show is in love with the idea of promoting people to, to White House jobs. <laughs> yeah, and the sort of like the ritualization of it. It's just a bunch of like, you don't have to like affix a seal to a document. To right. it's just, you're just giving him a job, man. Like, right. It's not that big a deal, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and especially with the speed which all this happens, like... Of course, it's, you know, in real life, every president goes through, like, seven press secretaries and stuff and whatnot, but in the show, it's still CJ, <laughs> like... Yeah. So, in real life, there's so much more movement of staff that you couldn't assign this much importance to it all, or, or it would just eat up the whole day. Well, and also, um, I, I would prefer to think that professional political operatives, like, don't need this Can handle sort of it? And don't need all this, like, yeah, pat on the backery, essentially. And it's not like he's appointing him to, like, be a secretary of agriculture Right, you are deputy communications director. You are, you know, you're, like, one level above Ginger and Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not to shit on Ginger and well, Bonnie. Well, I don't think Ginger uh, and Bonnie got any of this shit. Right. Um, and so, uh, interesting, to go back to our characters being inconsistent, one other thing I wanted to br bring up, and this brings it up, is that... 
So Will went from being, like, pants-pissingly terrified of going into the Oval Office and talking to President Bartlett openly and honestly to, like, sassing him fucking three episodes later. Yeah, he, um, he gets used to this shit real fast. Yeah, it's just... You could call it quick character growth. I would just call it inconsistent character writing. Yeah. And it should have taken him longer to warm his way up to, like... I could maybe suggest to Bartlett a policy change. <laughs> yeah, and for some reason, this just, like, they just do it at warp speed, which mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, uh, okay, I, I don't, I don't, we're, we're kind of making a mountain out of a molehill here, but it's like, yeah, this I, is, again, it's, yeah. it's just more sort of laziness on the part of characterizing. You can tell people. the show is just, like, starting to kind of fall apart, and I think this is why Sorkin might want to, might be why he hung it up toward the end of season four is he's just starting to realize like, ah, this thing's kind of a mess. (laughs) And after a while, I think by the, the, by the narrow definition and within the confines of his ideology, he can't write any more shows. Yeah. He's run out of stories. He's run out of stories to tell, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a, um, he only has a few of them. And to be fair, he does them very well. The ones that he has in his wheelhouse, but he runs out pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's a, I mean, it's an indictment of his creativity, if nothing else, but it's funny because it is not necessarily for lack of, I guess, artistic talent. It's ideologically based. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's just, there's a certain worldview he's limited himself to, and there's story ideas outside of that worldview. There's tons of them that he will never, ever take. It just seems, it's... Somewhat sad. It seems like a waste. Yeah, it's like the tra- the tragedy of Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. not gonna, you know, not gonna lose any sleep over. No, that, the man is rich as hell and <laughs> snorted a mountain of cocaine. And he's 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 had a good life. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's most of the thoughts for the actual episode. One other funny minor thing is Abby and um, President Bartlett and Abby have a pretty funny interaction where she's napping and he needs to wake her up and he's like, Abby, Abby. Abby, the kids are eating sugar. He's like, by the way, I I gave the kids candy all the time. And she's like, you bought their love? He's like, well, it was for sale, and I wanted it. (laughs) And I I appreciate that. That's that's a good little I'd like to note that um, Stalker Channing is back to looking more normal. Yes. Yeah, whatever was going on. Whatever was going on. The debate episode or the one where she looked a little... (laughs) frazzled or whatnot she's she's back to yeah she's fabulous gorgeous um (laughs) gorgeous gorgeous uh but yeah that that pretty much does it for our our thoughts on this episode uh the date today is friday november 6th we are 72 hours away from election day uh election night and nothing has officially been called yet though it certainly does look like biden pulled out a squeaker of a win here yeah, and what's actually kind of um, when now that you mentioned that specific thing, it's it's a squeaker that won't be reflected in the numbers because if the EV totals come back, it will not be a squeaker. Correct. It will be, it'll look, it'll but it was supposed definitive. to be it was supposed to be blue Texas, blue Florida, <laughs> blue Ohio. You know, it it was supposed to be a landslide 400-plus EV victory. Uh, It is not going to be that in any sense of the word. Well, and also, I mean, I think also it is, and this is kind of the the ultimate indictment of the Electoral College, is that a margin of 
you know, a couple thousand votes is going to swing 40 plus electoral votes right around. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just like Florida in 2000 kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, I think just to kind of put my broadest thoughts out there is that this is the worst possible outcome for the, I mean, frankly, shattered and directionless leftist movement if you can even call it that in this i don't know i think a biden landslide would have been an actual landslide would have been much worse it depends on whether i think it depends on whether you um can get your brain around a democratic senate which would have happened with a bad biden landslide Mm. having the will to push the type of policies that we prefer. <laughs> See, I, I can't. I well, can't. I think they would have been <laughs> just as shitty as a Republican Senate. Now, that is also perfectly uh, a fair outlook. However, in terms of um, being contra-Republican, this will bode extremely poorly for the next two election cycles. Oh, God, now, yeah. Midterms, midterms 2022 are going to be a fucking shit show. <laughs> Now the Democratic Party, because no, no, they no, ran on getting Trump out, and now Trump's out, and now they have nothing. Well, and, and no citizen looks at the government and like has a nuanced take on like, oh well, no. I could have gotten my COVID bucks, but I didn't because the Republicans right. sent it. They're just like, oh, They're the just, president I didn't get my COVID bucks. The president didn't fucking send me money. Right. Fuck the Democrats. Right. It's just, it's just a you know, am I better off from where I was four years ago? Exactly. That's that's, oh, that's what every average voter's cal- calculus comes down to, assuming it's not just, oh, my parents voted X, so I will vote X. And to be fair, that's that was I think that viewpoint was thrown into question with this particular election because a shitload of people voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. Like it is utterly bizarre and which is why I think that the polling industry basically needs to be raised to the ground. Oh, like, a, and yeah, well, A, yes. And then B, I think Trump would have won had he signed one, tw- one more $1,200 check shortly before election point. <laughs> and, and that's and that's what these numbers this, are yeah. telling me. We were talking about this in the car the other day. And if he signed like, one in October or better yet, like the literally the week before the election, a twelve another 1200 check went out, he wins. Which I think he wins for sure. <laughs> which is so strange because I'm not some sort of political genius. It's just how... I, I keep coming back to the question of like, how do people who don't even who don't even consider for a second a question of material conditions for their constituency continue to win these things? Like it, it breaks my brain in so many ways just to be like, I, I have no conception whatsoever of how a the average voter and b the average person who is soliciting the average voter thinks about this stuff which is actually frankly quite scary because mm-hmm. i feel like sort of adrift in this stupid hell country <laughs> like yeah i mean it's you know you have so many forces working to propagandize the american public in various ways and none of them ever get a clear leftist message about material conditions and why they are the way they are you get they instead get all these contradictory messes messages about oh it's immigrants or oh it's this or you know it's 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 hard to fight against well and the kind of just the really gross continuing i don't want to say lionization but it's the sort of like the upholding of like oh, well, guess what? Like, black women win this election and then proceeding to just do nothing 
yeah, about to help them. Those <laughs> those coalitions are helping to them. help to give them any sort of material comfort or aid or anything. And then, and, and then, yeah, keep upholding them as the fucking backbone of your voting forces. And then failing to recognize that, demonstrably, this time around... They abandoned you. <laughs> GOP doubled its minority share. Like, the they completely abandoned you share because you ever. gave them nothing. You yeah. gave them zero reason to vote for you. Outside of just token gestures. And, with and with nothing can, behind it. You can materially analyze that and say, okay, if we're going to be honest, what policies have we put in place that help these people and observe the outcome? Because now Mm -hmm. we have it. Mm -hmm. This is literally the referendum. Right. But uh, they're not going to learn that lesson. Of course not. The, meanwhile, the GOP is just like, oh, my God, we have, like, we're a diverse party now. Oh, my God. (laughs) And like, so they're probably going to try to pivot to, you know, some kind of fucking Strasserism, socialism bullshit. Yeah, or, I'm really wondering something. how, because I made this comment in the It's going to be weird to see the post-Trump GOP, yeah. Agreed. And, like, not that, not that like, every single fucking Republican is my personal enemy. I will, I will fight to my death against Republicans. But, like, the idea, and I think I posted about this in the general election thread, that, like, they've actually been very deliberately focusing their propaganda on turning women around mm-hmm. on turning particularly latino people mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. and cuz they realized these were areas where democrats were weak yeah and it was and easy to peel off a few voters it's just the the confluence of the only political skill and the only political direction being concentrated on the republican side of the equation is right. really bonkers like, yeah like they're the only ones who are competent at this sort of thing actually <laughs> And the Democrats tried their best to fail at the election and yet couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's the way I basically view this thing. They, God help them. They really tried to lose, but they just couldn't lose. So, yeah, that's um, our brief election update. I mean... Yeah, I think I, th- that was good. I, li- I like our... I think... Our, uh, that's a good level of thought on it. I think everybody needs, I mean, nothing, this basically changes nothing. I mean, if you want to dunk on Trumpers in your life, go ahead. Because fuck them. I mean, that's funny. I've seen some good memes about Georgia being blue now and stuff like that. That's kind of funny. Yeah. And, but I mean, and it's just, frankly, it's just the same as dunking on Trumpers would have been like while he was in Two weeks ago. Correct. I mean, I I always dunk on Trumpers. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like you should always just do that as a matter of course, as as a background uh, hobby in your life. But, you know, five years ago, we would have said, stay woke. Nowadays, we just say, like, don't don't fucking change anything. Like, keep fighting. Yeah, the fight always continues. The fight will continue for the rest of our lives. That sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, Yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see the way this uh, takes takes shape over the next coming months and years. Uh, And we will be here for that as we continue to discuss the West Wing (laughs) episode by episode. Uh, as we have embarked on this journey, and God damn it, we're we're going to the finish. Yeah, that's right. We're we're going to finish this out. <laughs> so thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate your listens, your plays, your clicks. Smash that like button. Uh, if you want to email the show, you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Which is nice. And there was a screen-capped moment where um, somebody had 69 million... 69,000, yeah, 69 Oh, right, votes. right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a tri- triple nice on election That's night. A very nice, funny. very nice election <laughs> night results. We always like to see it. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for joining us, and we will be back next time for another episode of The Worst Wing. 
Thanks, bye everybody. Bye. bye. All the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.